0: Today you are going to get a front row seat to the ultimate breakdown of how South Africa defeated the All Blacks in the 2023 Rugby World Cup Final. It was the dream final 28 years in the making, but did it live up to expectations? I'll give you my honest take. Let's get started. In rugby, nothing beats the Springboks versus the All Blacks rivalry. These teams have been going at one another for more than a century. At the Rugby World Cup, it is now 3-3 in the head-to-head, with the South Africans leading 2-0 in finals. Over the years, New Zealand have been synonymous with running rugby, while South Africa have been known for their defence and their physicality. To be very honest with you, I actually thought that the wet conditions at the Stade de France would suit South Africa on the night, but I don't think we can say that that is how it turned out. So where was this match won and lost? Believe it or not, I don't think it was actually anything to do with the game plan. Yeah, sure, both teams brought their respective strategies, but in the end I think it came down to sheer will, guts and determination. From the onset, it was clear that the Kiwis were keen to run. We also saw Irvin Etzabet with one or two big hits before Shannon Frizzell fell on Bongi Mbonambi after just two minutes. Bongi was injured, Shannon Frizzell was yellow-carded, and Dion Ferry would take his place and have to stay there for the next 78 minutes. Frizzell's yellow card was not upgraded to a red. We were creating good pressure after that, we saw some nice cross-kicks and even some uncharacteristic handling errors from the likes of Will Jordan and Bowden Barrett. Because that's what happens when you put the All Blacks under pressure. It turns out that they are human after all. But as we shall see later in this video, they are also superhuman. It was clear that we were targeting that right-wing channel where Will Jordan was doing battle with the cross-kicks and the up-and-unders making their presence felt, especially with Cheslin Colby on the chase to contest those high balls. Ethan De Groot was offside, Fuff de Klerk milked it for all it was worth. We were awarded a penalty, Andre Pollard slotted it and it was 6-0. That was after Pollard had given the South Africans the lead earlier in the match, after Frizell's yellow card. The New Zealanders then had a big chance on 15 minutes. Bowden Barrett with a little chip kick inside our 22. Ardi Savia and Frizell, who was now back on the field chasing. But the bounce of the ball favoured South Africa. Thankfully, from our point of view, because there was space. A minute later, they were on the board, though, thanks to Richie Mwanga, 6-3. Two minutes later, Savia was blown up for not releasing. And this was quite bizarre. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like this in a rugby match. After having awarded the penalty and Andre Pollard lining up to take the kick, Barnes actually apologized to Adi Savia after having watched it on the television replay for making an incorrect call. Now, of course, this is going to be a massive bone of contention, and the TV commentators even went so far as to say that Barnes had gifted South Africa three points. Pollard did convert, and it was 9-3 to the South Africans. But we'll come back to that point a little bit later. On 22 minutes, de appeared to have knocked it on, but Barnes deemed it to have gone backwards. And then six minutes later, perhaps the most significant moment of the entire match, Sam Kane went in on a high tackle on Jesse Creel and his shoulder made contact with Creel's head. Yellow card and unsurprisingly, based on what we've seen at this Rugby World Cup to date, it was upgraded to a red. New Zealand would have to play for 52 minutes with only 14 men on the park. Meanwhile, Dion Furie was picked at the lineouts for the first time, a minute later, before Pollard kicked another penalty and it was 12-3 to South Africa. After 33 minutes, the Springboks would not score another point. New Zealand had a great chance just before half-time. They spread the ball wide. It eventually made its way to Rico Ioane, who appeared to be through, but a magnificent try-saving tackle from Kurt Liarense put paid to any of Ioane's ambitions. They came back for the penalty advantage, Moanga slotted it, and it was 12-6. That would be the situation at half time, and it suited South Africa very much. Why? Because in the history of the Rugby World Cup, no team that had been ahead at halftime had ever gone on to lose. History was on South Africa's side, as well as the fact that they had a numerical advantage. You could argue that maybe they had two extra men on the field with the way Peter Steff de Toy was playing. This man was nothing short of gargantuan with his tackling on the night. And that probably made up for Dion Ferry's line-out performance. He was picked a second time before the break, and he also found time to throw in skew. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen, as well as in the description box. And there will be great benefits for members. Now, in the second half, it looked like the Springboks were moving in for the kill. In the opening few minutes, they had a couple of chances to score tries. Pollard's cross-kick was picked up by Captain Fantastic Sia Colisi, who went on a great run inside the All Blacks 22, but he was brought down before the try line, and the TV commentators again found fault with Colisi, arguing that he should have offloaded, and maybe there was an opportunity for him to do that before going to ground, but I felt that that criticism was harsh. A few minutes later, Cheslin Colby then kicked one through the middle of the All Blacks defence for Arendtse to chase. Arendtse duly collected, but was unable to stay in the field of play before diving over the try line to dot down. His foot was just in touch, just before he was able to give us the five-pointer. At that stage, you sensed that the try was coming, except that it was actually going to be from the other side. Kolisi was yellow-carded on 45 minutes for a high tackle, on Ardi Savia and I think he was saved by the fact that you could see that he was clearly dipping as he was going into the tackle. Otherwise who knows what would have happened with 14 against 14. Nevertheless the All Blacks seized the moment now that there was once again parity at least for just 10 minutes. They won a penalty, they declined the three points and instead went for touch. From the ensuing line they won the ball, they spread the ball wide before Mwanga broke through the Springbok defence, and he probably could have scored the try himself, but he duly offloaded to Aaron Smith, who dived over the try line, and it looked like a case of, oh boy, here they come, except the try was ruled out for an earlier knock-on at the line But before the knock-on, Irvin Etzebeth was actually penalised for interference at the line-out. Mwanga would then not take the three points again, going for touch, and the All Blacks would win the line-out. There was a good bit of mauling on their part. And then it would be Bowden Barrett who would score the first try that South Africa conceded in a Rugby World Cup final. It only took 317 minutes. Crucially, Mwanga missed the conversion. And South Africa was still in the lead 12-11 with 23 minutes still to play. At this moment, I would like to just say something about the set pieces. Coming into the match, I said that South Africa had a stronger scrum than New Zealand. And to be fair, there was parity at best. In fact, you could even say that the All Blacks maybe were even a little bit better in the scrums. But let's go with parity. In the lineouts, there was no doubt at all that the All Blacks were better than South Africa. And I think that that had a lot to do with Dion Ferri's uh, performance as a lineout thrower. And obviously, it didn't help us that we lost Bongi Mbunandi after two minutes. But then at the breakdown, it was all-out war. And I suppose you could say that South Africa edged that battle if only just. Again, Dion Ferry, we were having a go at him for what was going on at the lineouts, but he was excellent at the breakdown. He was magnificent in defence. I'm not saying at all that Dion had a bad game. It was just a case of his lineout throwing that was a letdown. And that actually got sorted out later in the match, when you could see that they were targeting Peter Steff de Toi a little bit further back in the lineout. Not right at the back, but let's say maybe somewhere in the three-quarter zone. And that seemed to be the safest option for uh, the Springboks at the lineout. Now, just coming back to the point that it was 12-11 with 23 minutes to go, we have to say that New Zealand's tails were up and Captain Colise could not get back onto that field soon enough. And what can we say about Quaha Smith? I mean, this man is just a beast of a player. He made two very, very good steals. In fact, let's say excellent steals inside a very short space of time just while the All Blacks were attacking and it looked like... They may even go and score again. But Quagha came to the rescue. So as it appeared as if the match might be swinging in the way of New Zealand, South Africa clawed their way back gradually, got out of their own 22 crucially, but then on 72 minutes... Cheslin Colby was given a yellow card for a deliberate knock-on. Let me just say something, guys. I do not agree with the deliberate knock-on law in rugby. I don't think that it should be a yellow card. In fact, if I'm quite honest, I think the idea that that deliberate knock-on being a yellow card, I think that it is absolute BS. I've said as much before in various conversations, but, you know, the rules are the rules. So here we are. We would have to see out the remainder of the match without Colby and we were also down to 14 men. There was parity once more. Colby actually sat with his jersey over his head for the remainder of the match on the sidelines. And to be honest with you, all I wanted to do was go over there and give him a hug. Now the resultant penalty was massive, probably from about 45 meters out. Jordy Barrett was the man who was given the responsibility. And thankfully, from a South African point of view, he pushed it wide to the left. It was still 12-11. A nerve wracking final few minutes would ensue, but eventually the final whistle would blow and South Africa were the Rugby World Champions for a record fourth time. The first nation to achieve that milestone. Was it a classic? No. My hands and my legs were still shaking an hour after the final whistle blew. In fact, if I'm perfectly honest, while I'm recording this video, almost 12 hours after that final whistle, I think my hands are still shaking ever so slightly. Dutoy was man of the match, or should we say Godzilla of the match? And quite extraordinarily, South Africa won each of their knockout matches at this Rugby World Cup by just one point, 30-29 against France, 16-15 against England, and 12-11 against the All Blacks in the final. This is a champion team, and that is what champion teams do. They find a way to win. It was not a vintage performance, but they did what they had to do to achieve the W. Spare a thought for the Kiwis, they gave it everything and they very nearly pulled it off, despite all the odds being against them with only 14 men on the field. On bonds, let me say that South African fans will tell you, probably more than anyone else, that referees do make mistakes, sometimes a lot of them. Especially because it often does go against the men in green and gold. The Allbacks did have their chances though, despite any refereeing decisions going against them. And don't forget, there were those two missed kicks. If Mwanga had converted the try or if Barrett had slotted that 45-minute effort with about 8 minutes to go, the All Blacks would have been in the lead and we don't know if they may have actually gone on to win otherwise. In terms of the severe penalty earlier, that was given incorrectly as per Barnes' admission, I think it's important to note that at the time it was 6-3 to South Africa and it was still 15 against 15. Assuming that Barnes had gone with the correct decision and not penalised Savia, and it was still 6-3 to South Africa with more than 50 minutes to play, It's impossible to say what would have happened. And crucially for me, the mindset of both sets of players would have been different in that environment. At the time, I think we can say that South Africa had started better than the All Blacks and they were slightly on top at that moment. So again, as I say, even though those three points at the time were incorrectly awarded, I think it is impossible to say what would have happened if that penalty had not been awarded in favor of South Africa. So if we're talking about what ifs and if onlys, I think it is very much incorrect to say that Barnes helped South Africa win this match. And so there you go. South Africa are the first team to win four Rugby World Cup titles. A massive congratulations to Sia Kolisi, Jacques Ninaba, Rassi Rasmus and everybody associated with this wonderful national rugby team of ours. Let us enjoy this moment. Our country has its fair share of issues, it's fair to say. But this wonderful team of ours truly does bring us all so much joy. And we just love them. If you watched the match and you were as nervous as I was and had shaking hands and legs like jelly, let me know in the comment section what you made of the encounter. See you next time.